Welcome back to Cause Talk Radio by Rashpixel.fm, the podcast that shows do-gooders, nonprofits, and businesses how to build win-win partnerships that raise money and change the world. This podcast is brought to you by Engage for Good, formerly the Cause Marketing Forum, and Selfish Giving. You can find full show notes and additional resources for today's episode at engageforgood.com and selfishgiving.com. Now, on to today's episode. Joe Waters, I want to welcome you to another exciting episode of Cause Talk Radio. On the line with me, of course, is Megan Strand. Hey, Megan. Hey, hey. Hey, how are you? I'm so good. I know. Another great day. Another episode of Cause Talk Radio. And Mm -hmm. Megan, we have a great guest here today. We do. On the line with us right now is Kathleen Janice, and she is a social entrepreneur, author, and lecturer at Stanford University. And she's here to talk to us about a great new book she has called The Social Startup Success. Say that 10 times fast. (laughs) How the best nonprofits launch, scale up, and make a difference. Hey, Kathleen, how's it going? It's going great, Joe. Thanks for having me. Hey, Kathleen, have you ever tried that? Have you ever tried that social startup success like 10 times? Say it 10 times fast, Miko. But it's funny that you say that because <laughs> I just recorded the audio book, which I encourage anybody to listen oh, to if yeah. they want to hear me read the entire book to them uh, in yeah. the comfort of their car or on a walk. <laughs> um, and every time I would get to somewhere where it said social startup success, I, I would like, freak out in my mind that oh my gosh here, yeah. here's yeah, yeah. Can, I, can I get through this it's like it's like you know i mean it's you know it's a that multiple. is a lot of messes but hey you gotta go with the alliteration when you can right it's that's like, right it's like poetry anyways you know but uh thank you so much for sending over a copy of this book so that we could take a look at it and it looks like a fantastic book can you Tell our listeners, Kathleen, um, a little bit about what the book is about. And I'd love to hear, too, what you know prompted you to write the book, because um, I've written a book and it's a lot of work. <laughs> so I always ask people, why did you write this book? And I'd love that to know that, too, about Triple uh, S. Absolutely. Well, I started writing this book because I faced the challenge that I try and address in the book, which is how do nonprofits scale? I started a small nonprofit in San Francisco called Spark. And like many nonprofits that launch, we were lucky that we had a lot of early buzz and we were doubling our revenue every few months. And we knew we were having an impact and we developed a great plan for scale. And then we went out to try and raise money for it and we hit a wall. And it was just when we hit our stride as an organization that we hit this wall. And meanwhile, I became really curious, well, who are all these organizations that are scaling and how are they doing it? Um, And I learned that just as we were kind of hitting this wall around $500,000 in revenue, that is an actual wall that two thirds of the 300,000 nonprofits in the United States are $500,000 in revenue and below. And many of them are small community-based organizations and should stay that way. But many of them are organizations that have proven models that want to grow and don't have access to the resources that they need. Mm. And so I wrote this book as a playbook for organizations who want to grow. And I went out and I interviewed 100 social entrepreneurs. I surveyed hundreds of of the top nonprofits in the United States and came up with these five findings that I talk about in the book that every nonprofit needs to implement in order to lay the foundation for effective growth. 
Wow, a hundred interviews. That's amazing. That's a. I mean, how do you even do that? (laughs) Well, Kathleen, you're a mom too. How do you how do you find all the time? What number episode are we on, Joe? How do you do? Hundreds yeah, of interviews. <laughs> well, We're on two sixty something at this point. It's like how do you uh, how do you eat an elephant, right? One bite at a time. That's right. That's right. It, it is. It's one at a time, and I'll tell you, it gets it, it got addictive really because you know I got to go out and talk with these leaders like Wendy Kopp from Teach for America and Charles Best from Donor Choose, and mm-hmm. these organizations are doing really phenomenal, impactful work, and I learned so much through the process and learned about these incredible stories that I share in the book. So hopefully everyone else will get the benefit of all that work that I put into it. Maybe you can tell us what, just kind of briefly, we don't need to go into all of them. Um, People can read the book. They want to get all the detail. But um, what are the characteristics that you found the successful nonprofits share? There are, as I said, there are these five findings that I write about in the book. I talk about testing and innovation and thinking about what the idea is and testing it out and piloting it before you go out and launch, measuring impact and the importance of developing strategies for collecting data that matters to both prove that what you're doing is working, but also to improve your model as you grow, to um, funding experimentation and thinking about testing both earned income and philanthropic income for uh, growth. And collective leadership, which is this idea of distributing leadership, whether it's through your senior leadership team, your staff, and putting them on the front lines and prioritizing their leadership, as well as your board of directors. And then finally, uh, storytelling and, and really practicing storytelling and making it a priority, not only for the leader of the organization, but for everyone within the organization. Um, because the best organizations realize that anyone on their team can be a brand ambassador and you have to prepare them to be able to tell that story. So it's interesting that you say characteristics, though, because what I was kind of waiting for when I was doing all these interviews, I was waiting for someone to say, oh, it's, you know, just these innate traits like grit mm. or a brilliant idea or charisma that uh, that that allows someone to succeed. But no one said that. And it's not to say that charisma and, and grit aren't important. They are. But it really comes down to these strategies that any organization can implement, no matter how many or few resources, which in the nonprofit sector typically is few, um, they have. And that, to me, is super inspiring because nonprofits can get better at what they do and they can have more impact in solving these causes that we all really care about. Mm. No, I think that's so important. I mean, I think Charles Best has been successful because he has great hair. I'm sure that's it. I mean, I've seen that. And Kathleen, did you see when you met him, he has great hair. He does have some pretty good hair. <laughs> and see, I think that has a lot to do with his success. But that doesn't explain other organizations with bald men at the head, right? Well. So, but I think what, what you mentioned that was good is about the storytelling, which I really like too. And what I think too is I think the best organizations are great storytellers. And I think it's like crazy in the nonprofit field that – nonprofits aren't better at storytelling because that should be a thing. Don't you think, Kathleen? Well, absolutely. My friend Nadine Burke-Harris, who runs the Center for Youth Wellness, talked about it like her 
athletic Olympic sport. Like she gets up every morning and thinks about how can I tell my story better? And she studies politicians and and she studies great orators. And it paid off because when she worked on her TED talk for six months, she said by the end of it, she, by the time she got up there, her husband pr- could have practically given that TED talk for her because she <laughs> she had rehearsed it so many times in their living room. But it now has millions of views, and she has really sparked a movement to make screening for adverse childhood experiences and toxic stress, which she works on for her organization part of the normal culture in pediatric medicine. And so she was, because of this incredible story that she was able to tell, she was able to change the way that we think about children's adversity. So that's really inspiring to think about how storytelling can make a difference in that way. Yeah. I mean, you know, what's interesting, I think, too, Megan and Kathleen is like the friend that you spoke of. I mean, just to even understand like the power of a TED talk and what that could do for your mm-hmm. organization. I mean, you, one of the things you mentioned is earned media and that like is so important uh, to be out there and cultivating that. But most nonprofits, they don't even know what those words mean. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And it's not just about the, at the leadership level, it's really every single level in the organization. I mean, the best organizations, that I interviewed, one of them has, for example, TED Talk Tuesdays, where they analyze TED Talks with their staff and and get their their staff involved in in Mm -hmm. testing out different ways of spreading the message. Another organization I interviewed does Storytelling Roulette, where at their staff meetings, they roll this wheel of fortune and it lands on a story. And then that staff person has to get up impromptu and tell the story of that project for their organization. And they do this because they say they're out there selling their projects to um, people who are paying for them. And if their staff can't tell those stories, then they're not going to be able to grow their work and grow their impact. So it's really critical not only to prioritize it, but then also to practice it and prioritize the practicing. That's a culture of storytelling. I like that. We should do that, Joe. We should like have have a game show. Those are some great ideas. We should watch a we should watch a TED Talk every day or something. You know what I mean? We could think like, how could we do our show and do the storytelling on our show better? That is way too much work for you. Yeah. I'm pretty sure. <laughs> 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 Kathleen, one of the reasons we wanted to talk to you today was because we heard about your great book, um, and I had asked you before. Did you learn any lessons about corporate partnerships? Because that's sort of our what we talk about mostly here on this podcast. So um, can you share what you might have learned from nonprofits about what they do with corporate partnerships that has been successful? The best nonprofits figure out how to partner with every single sector, whether it's public policy and government, other nonprofits, or the corporate sector. And I think this is something that is really exciting, particularly about new nonprofits. As I see my Stanford students coming through my classroom, they no longer think about social impact as either you're a nonprofit or you're a for-profit. It's The lines are really blurred and people are thinking about, okay, how can we maximize our impact irrelevant of how what kind of an organization we are? And so the nonprofits that are forming nowadays think about partnerships with corporations as a way to enhance their mission and oftentimes even making it part of their mission. So for example, Code 2040 is is an organization that 
was started when Google came out with its diversity numbers. And they were abysmal, something like 2% of their leadership was um, African American and um, very few women in leadership. And so this organization seized upon that and said, okay, we can help you. And partnered in the form of working towards something positive as opposed to shaming Google and saying, shame on you, you could be doing better and thinking about how to become part of the solution and not just part of blaming them for the problem. So that's been really effective for Code 2040 because working with corporations and providing them a service that actually helps them has been a revenue generator for them. They now sell diversity packages to these corporations, helping them develop fellows and um, develop better diversity practices. And meanwhile, are able to fund their organization so that they don't have to rely on philanthropic income. Another organization that did this well is Hot Bread Kitchen in New York, a job training program for low-income women who want to go into the food industry. They sell their products to places like Whole Foods and JetBlue, which are looking for products like this that have a great message, that inspire their customers. And so meanwhile, they're able to put those revenues into the job training program and sustain their organization. So really looking at partnerships that are a win-win for the corporations, as well as for the nonprofits is key to success. Love that. And, you know, it's interesting, uh, Kathleen and Megan, I think that's like the future of nonprofit is really thinking about all those different ways that you can make money. And I think those uh, creative things, I mean, you know, I remember when we talked to uh, Dave's Killer Bread and they were talking, uh, Megan, about some of the stuff that they were doing to educate national companies. They could do the same thing in terms of tur- turning that into a profit center for them. Um, so, you know, it's it's a great opportunity for nonprofits. I mean, we talked about earned media. We're talking about earned income now, right? Um, so I think it's, you know, that's something that they really need to focus on. Kathleen, what do you think nonprofits really struggle with that? You know, I think for a lot of traditional nonprofits, it's really challenging for them to navigate the corporate world because it's so foreign to them in many ways. Um, And I think that that's changing because nonprofit leaders are often coming from the corporate world and, you know, figuring out how to navigate it. And I think that Corporations are also getting more savvy about how to use the skills that they have on their staff to help nonprofits and not just make it about the, you know, the nonprofits, what are the nonprofits going to do for them? But what are the corporations going to do for the nonprofits? So, for example, Twilio is a tech company here in San Francisco that does uh, software development. So they have a team of developers uh, that they have on staff. And so they have developed their entire social impact program around thinking about, well, what can we develop for nonprofits that's going to be useful for them? And that's how they that's how they focus their efforts. LinkedIn similarly uses their staff to help build off their platform. So people who might not know how to use LinkedIn to get a job, uh, they use their staff to do mentoring days where their staff works with, say, veterans who've come back and need to develop LinkedIn profiles and figure out how to market themselves better. 
So this is an expertise or a skill that their staff has that then can be really useful um, for the social good. So I think that's that's a way that companies can do a better job of thinking about how to help nonprofits and how to leverage the skills that they have internally, not to mention uh, the financial resources that they have both within the company as well as harnessing the financial resources of their staff. Right. And that goes back to the win-win though, you know, creating something that has shared value for everyone involved. So absolutely. And I, I think that was one of our questions for you too, is what can companies learn from your work and this book, I mean, are there things other than um, what you've just shared that you feel are important to that, you know, that companies could learn from the work you've done? Well, I think one of the things that's so exciting about social startup success is that it's a playbook for nonprofits uh, that want to make a difference and want to increase their impact. But it's also a playbook for anybody who wants to better support the nonprofit sector. And companies are full of people who can sit on nonprofit boards, uh, of people who can volunteer, who can be advocates for a cause, who can hold fundraisers. I mean, there's so many things that young professionals can do to support nonprofit work. But I think there's oftentimes a disconnect between what people understand about nonprofit work and it is and kind of what the reality is. I think there's a lot of misconceptions about you know, nonprofits not being efficient or nonprofits, you know, not being um, really strategic. And, um, you know, I think a lot of those are myths, honestly, that I, I honestly, when you talk about efficiency in the nonprofit sector, I mean, I don't know any organizations more efficient than nonprofits because they have to work with such few resources. That's for sure. yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's true. So so yeah. having a little bit of appreciation for um, how that plays out, I think, is really critical for companies. And um, so I think anybody can benefit from social startup success. Yeah. No, and I think too, you know, when I talk to nonprofits about companies too, is I don't think they that nonprofits really give companies enough focus, you know, because they're really focused on individuals. And my whole point is like, look, a company is just an organization that's full of individuals. And they can be a really powerful conduit conduit because they have, you know, companies have uh, the motivation more than ever to work with social causes. They have the millennials, they have the marketing. I mean, one of the things that we have to admit in a lot of instances is companies are just a lot better at doing marketing and retaining customers than nonprofits are. I think there's a lot of lessons there. Uh, so a lot of nonprofits, I think, are looking co- to companies for money, but the real opportunity is with the workforce, with the motivation they have in the market. Absolutely. And the flip side of that is companies have no choice but to engage their employees in social causes. Millennials, uh, the research shows, are 55% more likely to stay in their jobs if they're involved in social causes. And with turnover costing oftentimes in the hundreds of thousands of dollars just for one employee, it can be really costly not to engage your employees in social causes and develop really strategic initiatives that help people feel like they're giving back. There's this really great quote in, in, in one of the surveys that was looking at how millennials in the workplace engage with social causes. And it was something like, well, my company cares about me because they engage in social causes. <laughs> and so, you know what, if that's what it takes to, to make someone feel like 
the company cares, well, then that's, you know, ultimately a pretty low cost solution to garnering a lot of loyalty from your employees. And that's, mm. that's so, so important. Well, I, this is all so, so interesting, Kathleen. I wonder if you could close this out today. We're, let's put corporate partnerships to the side, but can you give us your favorite examples from the book of nonprofits just doing really innovative work? So many come to mind. This is like asking me <laughs> to choose my favorite <laughs> Who are your child. Favorite child? That's, right. <laughs> that's right. We know you have a favorite. <laughs> Oh my goodness. I put out a top 10 list yesterday of my favorite nonprofits and I got back a whole bunch of emails saying, why wasn't I on that list? No more that's lists. Yeah. Um, but I will just um, give you one example, um, which is an example I love of um, a nonprofit operating in Liberia, Last Mile Health, and they focus on reducing mortality in rural areas in Liberia. And they live in a situation where there are millions of people to every doctor, that there are so few doctors in the country. They had to develop this community health worker system to serve people in rural areas where often people were walking 11, 12 hours a day just to get antiretroviral treatment for living with HIV and AIDS. And so you had these very sick people walking very long distances and by training community health workers who weren't necessarily doctors, but who could administer the medicine, they were able to figure out a solution so that people didn't have to travel as far. And the unintended consequence of this, although that was a very important, um, a very important way to help a lot of people in Liberia, when Ebola struck in 2012, those community healthcare workers were instrumental to preventing a global health crisis. If those community healthcare workers had not been trained in those rural areas, we may have seen a very different outbreak of Ebola not only in Liberia, but, but worldwide. And so that is the power of social innovation, this ability to be small and nimble and test out new ideas for creating change to social problems that affect us all and ultimately making the lives of people better, reducing suffering, but making the world a better place. And that what, that's what gives me hope about the power of social innovation and social entrepreneurship. Awesome. Amazing. Thank you so much for sharing that. If people want to find out more about your book or about you, how might they do that online? Well, you can go to my website at KathleenJanis.com. And I have a ton of tools on there and evaluation toolkit to see how far your organization is on the path to social startup success. And uh, I also have all of the links where you can order social startup success at your favorite book retailer online or in your favorite bookstore starting January 16th. Awesome. And we will include some of those links in the show notes. Joe, where can people find you online? Uh, people can find me minute to minute on Twitter at Joe Waters. Also swing by selfishgiving.com. Make sure to sign up for my newsletter, which goes out every Wednesday morning. And also check out all those examples of great cause marketing pins that I have on Pinterest at 
at pinterest.com front slash Joe Waters. What about you, Megan? Where can people find you? I'm also on Twitter at Megan Strand and I tweet for Engage for Good at Engage for Good, which is also where you can find show notes for today's episode, engageforgood.com, as well as selfishgiving.com. Want to mention too that the pre-conference registration is open for Engage for Good for 2018. So if you want to get the best available price, do it now before we come out with the program in January, which you are going to find amazing. And of course, while you're online, please subscribe to Cause Talk Radio wherever you get your podcasts. We're now on Spotify podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts as well as Google Play. So please be sure to do that. And on behalf of Kathleen and Joe and myself, I'd like to thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Cause Talk Radio. We'll talk to you next time. 